back in on the People Show. Randy Janda with Satyar Shah. This is a post vacation stat as well. We never got into the conversation of how your vacation was that. My vacation? Yeah, your uh, staycation, vac- right? My staycation was fantastic. I loved it. What'd you do? Break uh, it down for us. I, like. I, well, I, you know, I had a bit of a, I hung out and I had a bit of a getaway locally okay. with, with uh, rent an Airbnb with a pool, which very is very nice. Nice. Um, I went to the Sunshine Coast for a few days. Okay. okay. Helped the family out with some stuff, saw some friends, you know, it was good. Very good, man. Sounds relaxing. We all need that. Everybody, even the boss came back from a vacation. Mm-hmm. Was uh, hanging out with Richo's relatives in Italy. Hanging out. I came back from Europe. But you know what? You know what the problem with like longer vacations is? When you come back, you're absolutely wrecked. Yeah. Absolutely oh, wrecked for always. like four days. But you know what? So you played it smart though. I did. I took, it, I took it easy. You don't have any jet lag coming in locally. No, I got nothing. It's fine. I mean, and, and you know what? The last couple of days, I, I took it easy too. You know, so like I, I feel good coming into okay. to work. You today. decompressed on the way in. Whereas yeah. I've I've been a wreck since I arrived in Canada. Man. Yeah, I got a good workout in this morning too, and everything. Workout. Me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not but even you, considering it. You, man. I mean, you, how much did you? How many steps did you get in though? When you I were got in like Europe? a good fifteen kilometers a day, right? So it was probably around twenty thousand steps a day. That's great. Still, how much do you eat and drink on that vacation yeah, as well? I'll just say, it, it balances out. It does, but hey, it, it's a huge, huge help when you're able to. Uh, get that many steps yeah. in. Yeah, it was, apparently there's like a heat wave going on here when I was away. I was like walking like 15K in the heat wave out there. Absolute wreck. Yeah. Absolute wreck. But survived it, had a good time. And uh, you know what? Everybody, everybody deserves a little bit of time off. Especially, we go pretty hard when, you know, during hockey season, right? You're working six, seven days a week. You basically pull a, a long day. Nobody's complaining. We love doing what we do. But after a while, six, seven days when you're working in a row, yeah. it's nice to have a couple of weeks off. No, it is. It really is nice to have a couple of weeks off. And I mean, um, I'm so, I got more time off coming up in a couple of weeks. What? So I'm taking yeah. more time All off. Right. So, but that's why, you know, I'm back for a couple of weeks now. True, and true. You're back. working like a, uh, like a, a nurse's <laughs> shift where it was like 15 hour days for four days in a row. And then you got like two weeks off. Right? Two weeks off. It's great. And I'll be back again after Labor Day. All right. It'll be good. Okay. But okay, okay tell me. We uh, got two weeks though, man. Me and you are hosting this show for two have weeks. Fun. We're gonna have some fun. We have lot. So okay, uh, what was what was the what was the best thing you saw on your trip in Europe? Ooh, F one. Was it was the that French it? Grand Prix yeah. was unbelievable. Like totally, like a lot of people surrounded by humanity everywhere. Like what a hundred fifty thousand people per day walking the grounds, the whole thing. Just a lot of people, but. The type of access you're able to get for F1 events, and there's different types of access. You yeah. can pay a little bit more or whatever, all that. But just being on the track and watching that, just a cool experience. I don't know if I do the full three days like I did this time around, but the F1, you know, it's nice to have that experience. First time I ever caught a race. Otherwise, man, just chilling out. Barcelona, if you've never been before, hit it up. Bar- Bar- yeah. Barca is a, is a heck of a vacation place. It is, isn't it? I mean, Barca is... I haven't been. I'd love to check it out. But I'm not too happy with Barca and how they've been treating Ooh. Chelsea. That's why Chelsea's going to try to steal Frankie de Jong from them one of these days. Yeah. For a team that is apparently one of the elites in global football, Barcelona is is running their business like a failed nation runs their politics. Like, they are greasy right now. They are extremely greasy. Mm-hmm. The city's nice. Their football club being very, very greasy. Yes, they are very greasy. And we'll talk about the Frankie de Jong thing coming up in a bit. 
Um, but maybe not the uh, biggest breaking news that's going on because in the NBA, we'll get to Patrice Bergeron, David Krejci, who are back with the Boston Bruins, and Don Taylor drops in a bit later on. We'll talk BC Lions and stuff like that, and NFL talk coming up at one thirty. But uh, what's going on going on in the NBA and Kevin Durant? Drama. That's what's going on. So our boy, friend of the uh, the station, Shams, dropping this article for the Athletic a little bit earlier today, and this tweet where he basically kind of blew it up. This is the update. In a meeting with Nets owner Joe Sy, Kevin Durant reiterated, reiterated his trade request and informed Sy that Sy needs to choose between Durant or the pairing of general manager Sean Marks and coach Steve Nash, sources say. So basically, Durant hit the owner of the Nets with an ultimatum. It's yes. either me, it's either or them. Yes. That is... See you later, what, Steve. Well, I mean, because what does that tell you about the trade market, too, for him? Because yeah. they're at a point now where they're like, we want to keep you. So what does it look like if you stay? And he's like, well, if I'm going to stay, these guys can't be here. Yeah. Well, I do wonder this about this, though. How authentic was the trade request to begin with? Because if you're saying, if you're saying it's either the GM or the coach or me, like maybe this was the game all along to say, hey, I know there's going to be a very limited trade market for me because I might be the biggest piece in the history of the NBA when it comes to yeah, trades. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it was, I don't like these guys to begin with. This is my first move I'm going to make. But in the end, it's always going to be either you're with me or you're with them. Could you imagine, though, they, they fire all those guys and then he still wants to be traded at the deadline? He still ends up in Toronto somehow. Well, I mean, would you, would you trust, a, in, in the NBA, would you trust a player in that situation? No, no man. When he's is, already asked for a trade. I love player leverage, but NBA players, they, are, they change their minds like we change clothes, man. Like, honestly, one day you believe them, the next day they'll turn your back on you. It, it, NBA players, and this is great, player leverage I think for drama is great, but when it comes to believing a player's side of the story in the NBA, don't do it, because it's going to change tomorrow. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, I mean, not only that, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you know what, I can be happy for now, but ultimately, he's at a point where he wants out. Ultimately, he's at a point where he probably wants to go try to win somewhere else, and they're not going to be able to do it with that team. I mean, sure, him and Kyrie all of a sudden are going to coexist and be great. Do you see that? No. No, no. No. I, I mean, if you're the Nets owner, though, there's no good rebuild here. If you, tra- if you trade Durant, whatever you get back, they don't have any picks themselves. It's essentially becoming pick neutral at the end. You know what I mean? Like, you don't even get to a point where you can load up and be this great team. You're still a few years away from it. So if you're the owner, maybe the best thing you can do is try to convince those guys to stay as hard as it is. I mean, for us, it's easy to say don't no. trust these guys. But if you're in the Nets situation... How many options do they truly have? This is a lose-lose situation as far as the owner's concerned. Because if you say, hey, Kevin, no, I'm running the show. You don't run the show. We're going to trade you. Look at those trade offers. Or you think they're going to be better than they were a couple of weeks ago? No. Because all of a sudden, now the entire NBA knows that the leverage is that he doesn't like the GM and the coach. So you're not going to probably get the same deal you were getting maybe a month ago. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, if you do the opposite, Sat, if you do the opposite and side with the player, as an owner... You're taking the L because you're not running the team anymore. Your star is. And for me and you, it's all right to say that because, hey, it's a star-driven league. But you're not a billionaire who's running your own. Like, being an owner in any sport is an ego play. Is It yeah. is. You got money and you can use it. Now, imagine a star player saying, me or them. And you side with them. Your ego takes a hit. It does. It takes a massive hit. And, well, especially for these it's hard. They don't get a lot of guys saying no to them in, in their yeah. worlds, right? Whereas... For the superstar athlete world, there are other clubs that want these guys. 
There are other billionaires that will woo them even if you don't want them back. So, I mean, when they say no, they say no to you. But if you're the Nets, it's just one of those things. Like They're in a really, really tough spot with Kevin Durant. It's funny because the Kevin Durant thing is kind of becoming like the JT Miller thing. <laughs> like, when is he going to get traded? Is he going to get traded? Is it going to happen? It's so What's much happening? worse, though, man. It is much, got, much like, worse. you've got the Ben Simmons cloud that's hanging over that organization as well, right? Where it's not only one thing, but there's two or three things that are having happening so poorly with that organization where... You might be able to get a heck of a return, but remember, we were talking about the Nets potentially being a dynasty. When you get KD, when you get Kyrie, how, you know, it was a, they're a championship contender. Maybe yes. not multiple championships, but they should be in the conversation for one. When you have KD, you should be in that conversation. Now, it's just an absolute train wreck. You got nothing. You got this guy's essentially saying, and Steve Nash is the loser in this. First coaching, coaching gig, you're a Hall of Famer, and a lot of pressure, you're thrown in the middle. Yeah. And he has to say yes to this opportunity, but how do you recover from this job? Like, how do you honestly, if you walk away from this, it's going to be very difficult to kind of wipe all of this kind of residue off your resume. Yeah, it is tough. The only thing I would say is because Steve Nash has such a great reputation and because he's still so well liked, for him, if he gets fired here, can he get that stink off of him? I think it's going to be tough, man. Because I think, I think for him, he probably gets another chance somewhere if he wants one. But what does he want to do? Does he want to coach again? Does he even want to coach again after this? Yeah. And what was the what was the move in New Jersey? Or sorry, Brooklyn. It was go maintain those egos. Ma- go maintain those stars. Mm-hmm. Keep them together. And it's a tough task. But as of right now, it didn't happen. No. It didn't happen. So unless Steve Nash wants to go to Utah or a small market team and kind of rebuild and coach properly and and deal with maybe a, a rebuild or something that's, you know, starting afresh. I don't know, man. Steve Nash lives in LA. He lives in New York. Does he strike me as a guy that's going to go to Oklahoma City and start from scratch? I don't I don't know if he's that guy. No, I don't know. So, I mean, yeah. You know, and your biggest your biggest project was to make sure that these three mega stars they they appeal to you, you appeal to them. And that well, was a fail, man. 100%. And this question here says, you think it's easy to replace a coach with Steve Nash's proven track record? What proven track record as a coach? He's a Hall of Famer player. Not a Hall of Famer as a coach. And in the NBA, it doesn't matter. I mean, we saw Wayne Gretzky be a coach. In hockey, it didn't really work out. Yeah. It didn't have a lot of success. Just because you're a great player doesn't mean you have a proven track record as a head coach. Right? And as far as the NBA is concerned, what do coaches want to do? They want to win. And how do you win? Coaching superstars. As much as it sucks, what are you going to do? You, 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 are you going to say, you know, I'm not coaching Kevin Durant. Go and coach OKC. Have fun. Yeah. Have fun coaching that, that team for four years, getting fired, and maybe not getting another job. And you maybe made the playoffs or whatever. So if you're coaching, you're trying to win. And if you win, you got to coach these superstars. And as a, as a former player of the highest quality, a guy that's a Hall of Famer, being relevant is really important to a lot of people, right? You want to be in a market that's relevant. The have-nots in the NBA are irrelevant. Mm-hmm. You want to be in that situation. There's a reason he went to Brooklyn. There's a reason he wanted that situation, is you want to be relevant. You want to be great. Problem is, he's a good old BC boy, but man, that was a fail. Oh, it, right? like, fail. It's a risky move because, on one hand, you're saying, all the talent in the world. We can make something of this. Problem is, with that talent comes a lot of ego, a lot of personality, and can you maintain that? And Steve Nash... As of right now, as of right now, it didn't seem like he was able to do that. Because for a rookie gig, 
That's a tough that's one. A t- man. We that's all, a really tough. We one. joked about it. We said for this is the job for Steve Nash. You got James Harden. You got Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, and it's your first time being an NF- NBA head coach with not a lot of years of experience. Now you're going to try to coach a super team. I mean, come on. It was it was always tough to begin with, and you kind of hope that okay, well, at least. Steve Nash himself, Hall of Famer, superstar. Maybe he can relate to these guys. But one thing that's become very, very evident, today's NBA player is so different from yesterday's oh, NBA over. player. You know, and as much as these guys may be able to relate on the level of what it takes to be great and recognizing greatness on the court, as far as understanding each other's situations and the autonomy NBA players have today, it's a different world these guys live in. No, and we got Marcus and Gibson's coming in with this one. Did I miss it? Did the Nets even win a playoff round? Biggest flop of a super team ever. They did not. They did not. And... You know, here's the difference, though, right? Super team in name is one thing. Remember, this is the second time around the Nets tried to create a super team and it failed. Remember the Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce era? Yeah. They did the exact same thing there. This Obviously, they went higher up the food chain because KD, at this point in his career, is probably better than some of those guys, where especially Paul Pierce and all that. But you got to be extremely careful on the makeup of the team. And they wanted to have that experiment. They wanted to create their own Frankenstein of a team. Kind of like that story kind of bit him in the rear run, the yeah. rear end, right? So, like, that's something that I look at that and say, when you have, you know, look at the way that Golden State and Milwaukee created their teams. There was an element of, all right, you build, you set a culture, and then on top of that, yeah. you got elite talent. Elite talent. Sometimes when you try to bring in the elite talent and build a culture after, it doesn't work out that way. No. That's what the Nets tried to do. How Building that, culture ain't easy, man. It's not easy. It's, and what, I mean... You need the right leaders in place. That's what it always comes down to. And, you know, this text unsigned, his coaching prowess is second only to his engaging football club ownership, which is another slap at Steve Nash a little bit. Hey, is he even a good coach? Is he actually good at what he does? We don't know this. No, we don't. You know what I mean? Like, so as much as, you know, it looks really bad at the same time, like, where is the issue here? Because all of a sudden things fell apart. Everybody wants out of Brooklyn all of a sudden. Is it just the players? Does a coach of a player has, has a part in this or not? And is Steve Nash even up for it? Is he a good NBA coach at this point? I think we're going to probably find out more now because the fact that this ultimatum is put out there, this is generally when stories start to leak one way or another, right? Either there was a a disagreement or there was maybe an error. Now, with Shams reporting this, this is where you kind of keep your ear to the ground to say, all right, what are former players, what are current players, are anonymous sources now going to start talking about Marks or Nash or maybe even Kevin Durant? Like, this is the time where the stories will probably start to leak out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we'll get a lot of the leaks, which, which are great. You know, the turmoil leaks, like the oral histories that will be written about these things, they'll be fantastic. Maybe some 30 for 30s, some sports documentaries about the craziness of the player autonomy era in the NBA, which we live in right now. Okay, what most likely happens here? Does the owner of the Nets side with Durant or the other, the GM, the coach? I mean, uh, the GM and the coach can't trade Kyrie Irving. Nope. The Harden trade didn't work out. Nope. They got Simmons hanging Simmons, around. We'll see what he what happens yeah. with him. Um, do you trust the GM? I don't know. <laughs> I think I, just just get rid of everybody. In Clean this house. League, in this league, it's easy for me to predict that Kevin Durant will be on the team. The other two will not. No, I, you know, yeah. I, I think that's the easier prediction, safer prediction. Was door three clean house? Like, if that's a situation. Ineffective GM, ineffective coach, ineffective players. Get rid of everybody. Clean house. Start a new culture. Build it properly. All right. Be irrelevant for five years. Tell, <laughs> yeah, tell exactly. an owner to do that. Yeah, exactly. Hey, your team, you know you had championship aspirations? Take a back seat. 
do a rebuild. Uh, Tanbeer says, Steve Nash ain't a BC guy anymore. Does he ever do any public appearances here? So people are hating on Steve Nash a little bit. That happens, you know, to be honest, last few years, I've seen more and more Steve Nash a hate than, than we would we would have seen when he was in his heyday as a NBA star. I think with his connection or the lack thereof to the Whitecaps, and, you know, he was kind of absent, right? Yeah. Other than the occasional Twitter videos or photos or whatever. Like, people... I know, you know, going to Whitecaps games when they were struggling, there was a, an element of, hey, where is this guy? He's supposed to be one of the guys that's one of the front men, but, Sai, you're the Lakers fan. Mm-hmm. The two MVPs won. One of them should have gone to Kobe. What, one of them should have. Yes. Right? Yeah, so, well, or so or Shaq I, even, you know. Yeah, so I, I, I'm not, I, I'm a, I, especially when he was with the Suns, I love the way he played, but I think in the last couple years, South of the border. Wow. South of the border, there was always a one of his MVPs should not have been his. There yeah, was well, always that narrative. Yeah, he deserved one MVP though. I, I'll give him one. The second one, I think people That's were okay. saying, "Wait a second. I, I, because he's Canadian, I'll, I'll take both. It's okay." But locally, here in the last two or three years, yeah, the the narratives changed. The slander, a little bit more negative. Well, I mean, there were, there was, uh, you know, um, I'm not even sure. I'm not going to say anything, but I mean, I don't know how the soccer stuff has yep. gone on or whatever. I don't know. Sure. Uh, there was another venture he had business-wise that didn't quite work out. No. I'm, no. I'll just leave it. Yep. <laughs> it's been a rough couple of years, man. <laughs> he's a Hall of okay. Famer. He's, yeah. he's having fun with life. Yeah, man. Fantastic. Um, I mean, so yeah, maybe maybe the Nets have to rebuild it all. You know you know what team, and here's a cheesy segue for you. You know what a team that never rebuilds? No culture issues? <laughs> no culture issues, but they never rebuild? The Boston Bruins. Yes. Patrice Bergeron back. One-year deal, bonus laden, can be worth up to $5 million, but $2.5 million, really, plus a bit more in bonuses. David Krejci returns from the Czech Republic, and he's going to be playing center for uh, the Boston Bruins. He the returns Bruins. from exile. He does, yeah. After They're like, yeah, the players love the coach, and as soon as the coach goes, all these guys come back. <laughs> it's like, okay, maybe there was something to it then. Tell me Cassidy was the problem without telling me Cassidy I don't know if he is, but who knows, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the correlation is, however, very strong, right? Um, so David Krejci's coming back. Bergeron's coming back. They signed Pavel Zaka, who they traded for from the New Jersey Devils as well. They're over the cap, but they can get through it with LTIR. DeBrusque isn't getting traded at this point. They made the Hampus Lindholm trade. Goaltending-wise, they have Ullman and um, Allmark and uh, Swayman, so they have a couple of guys yep. there. But this, this team refuses to rebuild. Are they getting are they getting long in the tooth at this point? Like as much as okay, they're getting Krejci and Bergeron in cheap, and and Bergeron just won the Selkie Trophy, fantastic year and everything. But I mean, are are they throwing good money after bad here to some extent? As far as committing to these guys, and can they actually win here? Yeah, I, I think in the short term, getting Pavel Zaka was really important for them because when you talk about long in the tooth, and did they have the depth to be competitive, like at the high end? We know that they're going to be around the playoffs or in the playoffs. But can they hang with the Torontos? Can they hang with Tampa? Can they hang with Florida? Was, you know, I think the question for these Boston Bruins. And they're not that good. But are they a playoff team? I think adding a little bit depth down the center position was something that they needed. Because Charlie Coyle is not your second-line center. Eric Hollow is not your second-line center. You needed somebody younger. So making that move was good. But that looking at this team, and I, I love Hampus Lindholm as a defenseman. I think he's... A solid, solid pickup for them to uh, you know play alongside Charlie McAvoy. They just don't have that ceiling anymore. So this might be their last kick at the can. Remember, Pasternak, that contract's coming down. He's going to be a UFA pretty soon as well. You've got the older guys with Bergeron and Marshawn. Taylor Hall, fine second-line player, but we know that ceiling is not there. He won the Hart Trophy. He's not that player anymore. 
And you could argue he was never that player. It's just that one year. I look at this team and I say, yeah, it's one kick at the can. Their last dance. They're, just, they're not good enough to compete, though. They aren't. No, they're not. They're, they're, they're not. not good enough to compete with the big dogs in that division, let alone that conference. No, and that's the question ultimately about that organization. As much as, yeah, you want to keep the culture going and all that sort of stuff, at what point do you turn Right. Like, at what point do you turn into in order to be good? Are you just happy making the playoffs with these guys? Are you just happy being able to sell out, sell out the building, being a playoff team, being able to contend, so to speak, for a playoff spot with the likes of Mar- Marchand and Bergeron and these guys and their name value and, and that money that comes in? Because that's a safe thing as for an organization too. They've won a Stanley Cup. Sure, they want to win more, but this is where teams sometimes will mute their own ambition to some extent because yeah. it's hard to be it's easy to be easy for us to say go and try to win a Stanley Cup why are you are you happy just being a playoff team it's like okay well we can either go through door A which is be a playoff team for the next four or five years or whatever and compete and, and make sure we have revenue fans are interested or players are engaged or we can try to rebuild take it on the chin for a few years with no guarantee this gets good and it may take a while to get better sure we might be a better team down the road but that's a lot of risk to take when we know for sure we can be a playoff team and make this much money it becomes a business decision at some point. I feel like they are probably thinking, okay, they already they won the cup, then they reset, right? They made those deals, got rid of Lucic, they got you know they had that reset with Don Sweeney, and then what you have now is in the last couple of years they had to make a hard decision on Zdeno Chara moving off of him. It feels like they are doing this those one last time because they might feel like they owe it to Bergeron, stay competitive. It's kind of like that same Canuck storyline where. Hey, as long as the Sedins are around, you're going to try to stay competitive. But there is a shelf life here. And that's that David Pasternak contract. If he stays in Boston, he's going to get paid a lot. Mm-hmm. If he leaves, then you got a whole other problem. So that rebuild is coming. It feels like this is legitimately them just saying, all right, one to two years, let's do as much as we possibly can. But the Boston Bruins, for all those years of when are they going to fall off? When are they going to drop? I think we're about a year, maybe two years away from that, where... The rebuild is coming. They've reset a couple of times. I don't know if they can do it again. Yeah. I think that rebuild is probably two years away based on the fact that you can extend whatever you want with Marshan and Bergeron here in the short term. But that when you start spending money, and the Charlie McAvoy contract was a big one, where they, they gave market value to Charlie McAvoy. Yeah, they Damn did. good player. Yeah. But remember, for all those years, they never paid anybody above like $6.5 million, 6.6 or 7 or whatever it was. Now, you start breaking the mold there. You think Pasternak doesn't look at that Charlie McAvoy? Oh, you got to pay him. Of course he's looking at it. But that's the reality. That's a new new term you got to pay for superstar player, which is $9 million plus. That's what Pasternak wants to. So we'll see what happens with the Boston Bruins. Now, Randy, before we get out of here, uh, one thing you guys have been doing here on the People Show is playing some trivia. So, so what's going on with this trivia segment? Turf trivia. It's been uh, going on for a while now. Everybody gets to rep their hood. We've been giving away prizes. A special prize this week. Second year, the second annual. Oh, yeah. People Show Fantasy Football League is going to happen this year for the NFL season. So, this is how it works two leagues, 24 teams total. You're going to be playing against Bick, myself, citizens of the People Show. There's going to be some additional VIPs as well. Maybe uh, we'll name some uh, individuals a little bit later on. More information to come. But what's going to happen? Turf trivia. If you win, you will get an automatic entry into this exclusive league, which begins today with Turf Trivia. So send in your answer, 650-650, to the question that I ask, and we're going to randomize it. We're going to pick a winner, and that winner will have one of the 24 spots. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be doing this, giving away it through Turf Trivia. A little bit later on, we're going to start some bribes as well. Ooh. What good deed or what wow. deed can you do? 
are you going to bribe us to get in? Wow, to the to the league, but it starts today with turf trivia. All right, all right. So l- let's get it going. Dunbar Lumber six fifty six fifty is our text message inbox. So what is the question, Randy? Today's question: We're just talking about Patrice Bergeron. He was drafted in two thousand and three. Who was the number one draft pick in the NFL that year? NFL, not the NHL. Who was the number one draft pick in the NFL in two thousand three? I think I know the answer. All right. All right. You can't say it right now. You can't say it. You can't say it right now. I don't can't say it. All right. 650, 650. Hit us up right now. Get it in and we'll be back. Emery Hunt, NFL Talk coming up next right here on The People Show. Dunbar Lumber text inbox popping with turf trivia. The question was, Randy, Patrice Bergeron drafted in 2003. Who was the number one draft pick in the NFL that year? And uh, you're playing for an entry into the People Show Fantasy Football League. A ton of responses already on the Dunbar Lumber text inbox. That's right. And not a name that you were probably expecting to discuss today. But the correct answer to that question, 03, first overall pick. Carson Palmer. Mm. Remember him. Picked by the Bengals that year. Congratulations to a lot of people who got that right, but there's only one winner on Truth Trivia. Donkey has won his way into the Fantasy Football League, the People Show Fantasy Football League, and Donkey's from Wilson Creek here in BC. So a smaller community. First time ever Wilson Creek has won on Truth Trivia. So inaugural championship for Wilson Creek. Oh, attaboy. Good job. Yeah, rep the province, baby. Rep the province strong. You get in, and uh, you have a chance to be part of a lot of fun with the People Show Fantasy Football League. Good stuff. There you go. And it's uh, Wilson Creek is near Seashell as well. So oh, Gibson's, a Davis Bay Area. So there you go. We, uh, we're going off the mainland, so to speak, uh, towards Wilson Creek. Yes. <laughs> that is fantastic. Uh, we're going to continue the conversation on the NFL with Emery Hunt. Uh, coming up in a few minutes, we'll discuss everything going on. And, you know, Emery's been keeping a very close tab on the New York Giants and their uh, training camp. And I don't know, man, the Giants are the Giants. I know they've made their coaching changes and Brian Dable's there. And there's a lot of optimism about his offensive mind and what he can do with that team and everything. But, man, it, it's it's always a question around Saquon. And today, apparently got into it a little bit. But the other day, people were hyping him up. I'm I'm just so afraid of touching anything to do with Saquon Bar- Barkley. Like, it just scares me from a fantasy perspective. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. From a fantasy perspective, because you always either have been that person or oh, you have I've, that. Yes, yeah, I have been. I haven't been, uh, you know, on this, uh, maybe once or twice with Saquon. But, yeah, there's always in the keeper league. You know, at one point, there was a, a there would never be a question of you're keeping him or not. Now, it's like. Injury after injury. Yeah. At what point do you start mulling over that decision a little bit more, right? Well, like, I'm in an auction league. I don't know. If, if I bid on him, I wouldn't bid high. But hey, well, let's, let's, uh, let's throw that by Emery Hunt, who now joins us. Uh, the owner of the football game plan, star of the playbook, and check him out at FB Game Plan on a Twitter as well and CBS Sports HQ. Uh, Emery, it's always a pleasure getting you on the show, man. Uh, how's New York? I appreciate you guys bringing me on. It's fun, man. It's it's football season. It's summertime. It's a, you know, it's great to to be a football fan. <laughs> well, it, it it absolutely is. And we were just talking about Saquon, and I know you've been keeping close tabs on the New York Giants and training camp. I mean, should we be afraid? Should we fade the Saquon hype, or should we start buying into it a little bit? 
should start buying into it, man. You know, two years ago, I, I made note of Saquon's uh, body physique and how he put on a little bit, you know, too much muscle. He was a little bit too bulky. And that's not necessarily a good thing for a guy that's as violently agile as he is. And it, you know, subsequently led to him getting hurt in that game in Chicago. And so when I look fast forward to now, looking at him early in OTAs and then looking at him in training camp, you're like, wow, he, he really has leaned up a bit. So he's looking more physically a lot like what he did in 2018, which is a fantastic thing, not only for him, but for this Giants offense. Okay, the Giants as a whole, though, you know, we expect improvements, obviously a new coach uh, with Brian Dable, but, like, what's the vibe around this? What's the buzz around this team? Because, you know, they're, <laughs> they've had a rough couple of years here. Uh, what do you think this team is going to be this year? You know, it's, it's interesting to watch them, you know, daily at practice. And, you know, what you notice right away is that the offensive line is going to be solid. Saquon is going to be Saquon. The defense, I feel as though, will be if not as good as it was last year, maybe even better because of the aggressiveness that they're going to, the aggressive mindset and what they're going to do out on the corners. So I think run game and defense will help them either stay in some games or win a few closed games. And and that's going to be the biggest difference. And, you know, if they really want to challenge for that seventh playoff spot, it really will come down to Daniel Jones. And to me, based off what we've seen in his career, and what we've seen so far in camp, granted it's been camp, but that's still the biggest hindrance to this Giants offense, more so than anything. Well, and, and that's the biggest question, because you have somebody like Brian Dable, who's there, and with his offensive mind and everything that he kind of can kind of bring in. And, you know, there's always going to be patience there with, with that team. But is that the, the biggest question, considering the amount of talent that Giants team does have across the field, that if they just need a quarterback at this point? Are they that close? I don't think they're that close, but... Uh, uh, stable, consistent quarterback would help them be competitive, would help them push it over the hump and take advantage of a really good defense and, and a star tailback in, in Saquon Barkley. So that's why you're you're seeing, you know, a lot of talk of, you know, can Daniel Jones take the next step? Can he take the next step? Because being out here at training camp, every day you're seeing at least two to three passes from a Tyrod Taylor that's like, whoa, that, that's a beautiful ball. And is giving these receivers that obviously he's working with the twos is giving receivers an opportunity to to make plays to to you know make something happen after the catch he's converting um, in the red zone he's throwing you know deep balls down the field so it's it's a situation where I think Brian Dayball knows that he has some comfort in in a stable veteran if he has to go to him at some point in the season. Emery, let's keep it in the NFC, but go to the West. Uh, I want to talk about the Seattle Seahawks, though, because there's a lot of noise around these parts of, okay, how bad will that offense be, whether it's Geno Smith, whether it's Drew Locke. Uh, what do you expect from that group? they got dynamic playmakers. We know that, but it's all about the quarterback. What are you expecting from them this year? That's the, that's the beauty of the Seahawks, is I feel like when we were just talking about the Giants, you can see a lot of things about the Seahawks and, and, and say similar things about them, but the difference is they are more dynamic um, at wide receiver. They are a little bit deeper in the backfield than the Giants are. They have an excellent option at tight end and no offense, and I feel like their offensive line is going to be just as solid as the Giants' offensive line. Geno Smith, to me, got a raw deal from start, and I'm talking about his time with the Jets to his stint with the Giants. That training camp, no one – I was there – and no one wants to bring up how he was the best quarterback there 
that season even better than Eli. But we knew he wasn't going to start over Eli until he had to, which he did. And then all hell broke loose, and everyone acted as if that they threw a, a right guard back there on the center. But Geno really was balling that whole spring and summer. And so I have full confidence in Geno Smith. I know you hear a lot from the players on that team. They believe in Geno. They they really ride with Geno, and that speaks volumes to a guy's confidence and his ability to go out there and lead and really just play through some some sort of struggles that he may or may not have. But, man, this team is still talented. It, it, that's why I'm shocked that um, they made out like this in their Russell Wilson trade. You mean the time you get to keep D.K. Metcalf and also you get Noah Fant and you draft um, Kenneth Walker to go along with Rashad Penny. This is not a bad football team. I still think this will be a nuisance for a lot of teams uh, this season. Well, and, and that's that's one of the big questions that I kind of have overall in that division. You look at the NFC in general. You look over at the AFC. I mean, what do you? How open do you think the NFC could be this year in general? Considering a lot of the star quarterbacks find themselves in the other uh, conference. Well, the NFC to me is wide open. Yeah, you know, um, I feel like the you know the Saints are a dark horse Super Bowl team. Mm-hmm. Um, Make a case for, you know, two teams in the West. The Cowboys and Eagles are Super Bowl contenders. You're only really going to get one team out the North in Green Bay. So it's definitely wide open, um, in my opinion. Saints, Tampa, all those all those teams are, are going to be vying for uh, a trip to the Super Bowl. But at the end of the day, it's about which quarterbacks can you trust, who are the more talented quarterbacks. And, and right now, those teams that I named tend to have talented quarterbacks and and there you go. So that that's usually the answer. San Francisco is a team that you don't really know much about Trey Lance, but you do know that they have a fantastic run scheme and a fantastic defense, which will always keep you in any game that you play. You know, looking across the league, whether it's the AFC or the NFC, you know, there's some teams that generate some buzz, generate some hype in the offseason, uh, but they ultimately fall short. Hey, listen, Miami, Miami Dolphins are one of those teams where there's a lot of expectation, but it's still going to be tough to do something that AFC East or is there a team that you're saying, okay, I understand the buzz, but you're not buying the hype? Yeah, absolutely. It would probably be the Chargers, you know, in the sense that the hype is in terms of them having Justin Herbert as a top three quarterback, which to me that seems asinine because I need to see him, one, get to the postseason. I need to see him not throw crucial interceptions in crucial parts of the game uh, that tends to lose the team the game. And we saw that four times last year, which if he wins one of those contests, that gets him into the playoffs. They don't need that Raiders game at the end. And we still have some questions about Brandon Staley's in-game you know, decision-making. I remember folks were saying, man, this, if they get past Anthony Lynn, then that's the issue. Well, Anthony Lynn got the team to the playoffs. Anthony Lynn did some, some good things while he was there, but they – let go Anthony Lynn, bring in Brandon Staley. He's supposed to be the, the perfect you know, pairing for Herbert. And you see them go forward on fourth down in terrible situations. You see them you know, try to keep their offense out there on the field. They lose points. They leave points on the field. And Herbert has been, while he's talented and has been really good, I think he's the best deep ball thrower in the NFL. You want to see him start to close out some of these key games. And until we see that, I, I still have to have a wait-and-see approach about the Chargers, and we still got to figure out if they can stop the run as well. 
Well, and, and that's going to be the big thing. Now, as far as my Cleveland Browns are concerned, Emery, I got to tell you, it's been a really tough year watching this this offseason because, you know, I mean, you saw you see the Deshaun Watson stuff happening and you see now the stuff going on with Kareem Hunt, who's asking for a trade. Now, his situation is a lot different. But how do you go about evaluating the Browns season and them as a team as a whole when the whole Watson situation seems so unresolved still? Well, and that's a great way to phrase it because, you have to look at this team in two separate, under two separate lenses, with Deshaun Watson and without Deshaun Watson. With Deshaun Watson, this is another Super Bowl contender. Without him, this is a team like I've said about Seattle, like I said about the Giants, like I like I've mentioned before about Pittsburgh. Run game, defense can win you a lot of games, and Jacoby Brissett is capable enough to not have you completely uh, fall apart but can hold it together a little bit, you know, and this is someone that you're going to have to rely on to make a player to kind of push you over the edge. If he's out there, you're really going to lean on Nick Chubb. you got to patch things up with Kareem Hunt to keep him there because that's what makes this, you know, this offense in his run game so dangerous. Their defense is going to be good, so they're going to be in a lot of games. Um, but if Deshaun Watson is there with these same weapons, now you have the ultimate X factor, and that can push you over the hump. That can help you challenge for an AFC North crown and also help you solidify a playoff position. But without him, the playoffs will be tough. They'll be competitive, but it'll be hard for me to see them making the playoffs with Jacoby Brissett as opposed to with Deshaun Watson. We were talking a little bit earlier on about the NFC. You know, there's a lot of things that could happen there. It's a little bit wide open, especially when we start thinking about the wild card. But the AFC is absolutely loaded. And when you look at that AFC West, there's an expectation the Chiefs are the Chiefs. Maybe not as good as last year with losing a you know playmaker in Tyreek Hill, but we know you know the Broncos are going to be there. H- how good do you think the Raiders are going to be this year? Because you know you did talk about the Chargers and and a team that could fall by the wayside a little bit, but the Raiders, you know, the additions that they have with Devontae Adams, do you think they're a heavyweight or a near heavyweight in that division? You know, it, it's tough because it, it, for me, it's an easy ranking of the division. You rank them by quarterbacks. Pat Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert, and unfortunately, Derek Carr would be fourth. And that's how I see the Raiders finishing um, because he is a bit he, – he's talented, but he's so inconsistent. And I can trust the Chargers more than I can trust the Raiders. Even though the Raiders went on that magical run last year, one of those crucial games, beating the Chargers uh, in that last game of the season, I still have a hard time uh, trusting them from a week-to-week basis. I wish they would have kept Brian Edwards and not sent him off to Atlanta because now they would have had a potent trio with Adams and Renfro. So it kind of weakens them a little bit from a, you know, a skill perspective. But, you know, what I saw in the preseason, I know this is preseason, but I love the way they're, they're going to, you know, identify themselves with that run game. And that is huge. And that was just the backups running the football in terms of, you know, um, you know the quarterback and, and some offensive line pieces. But the, the running back depth that they have is tremendous. If they establish a run, and now you, you're adding an efficient Derek Carr who's played efficient ball, but you just want to see him kind of flatline his play, then the Raiders can be a, 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 an issue. The problem is everyone in the AFC has gotten better. So they may be a team with a winning record, finishing fourth in their division and also out the playoffs. Well, and, you know, one team that we want to ask about here, and, you know, 
one of our uh, producers here, Josh Elliott Wolf, is a huge Minnesota Vikings fan. And anytime I look at this Minnesota Vikings organization and look at this team, you kind of wonder, okay, you know, they have some talent, they've had some ups and downs, but if you look at that team and where they're trending, they still have Kirk Cousins there as a quarterback. Do you look at that team as a team that's still in purgatory, or do they have some hope here with Kirk Cousins? They're still in purgatory. They have yeah. the ultimate purgatory quarterback who's 59-59-2 as a starter. You can't get no more average than that. They are the NFC's version of the Raiders. you know. And when it comes time for a big game or a crucial game, there's no way on God's green earth that I'm, that I'm trusting Kirk Cousins. I don't care how much talent they have because they have a lot of it. Receiver, O-line, running back, defense looks to be replenished and, be, and should be better this year. But I can't get past number eight taking either a crucial sack in a crucial moment, a key fumble in a crucial moment, or a bad interception that results in points being taken away from them or points going the opposite way. I can't trust him more than, you know, than I could throw him in. A lot of people will point to his stats, but to me that's iceberg lettuce. It's empty calories. He piles up a lot of stats, but none of it means anything. Oh, I love it. Emery Hunt, make sure to check him out on YouTube as well. FB Game Plan, the star of the playbook. Always a pleasure getting you on the show, man. Hopefully we'll chat again soon. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you got it. That is Emery Hunt. I love that description of a player. Oh, so Iceberg good. lettuce. Iceberg lettuce. Just that is fantastic. calories, man. That's beautiful. Let's get uh, Josh Elliott Wolf in here. When you hear uh, your Minnesota Vikings get called out like that, w- what do you think? I kind of feel the same way. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have said iceberg lettuce, but now <laughs> that's all I'm going to view it as. But, yeah, no, he's like a super average quarterback. And But the thing is, I think the team around him is good enough to make it a bit better. I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender, but I wouldn't be surprised if they make the playoffs. Okay, we're going to – I wanted to pose this question. I kind of posed it to Emery as well, but let's let's talk about it in a slightly different way. Which of the teams – is like the most intriguing team heading into the season. We're still a few weeks away. We were about a month away from the launch of the season. But I look at the Raiders, and they're kind of it to me, because they're in the, you know, probably the toughest division in football this year, right? You got Herbert in that division. You got Mahomes. You got Russell Wilson now. But they've made upgrades within their roster as well. It's like, how good can they be? And will it matter? To Emery's point, they could have a winning record and still be fourth in that division. So, yes. Like, I look at the Raiders. They made a power move. But will it matter in that division? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, aside from my team, aside from seeing the potential train wreck that the Seattle Seahawks could be, and on top of that, my team, the Miami Dolphins, I'm looking at the Raiders to say, all right, what can you do in that division? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think the best probably is finishing. Second? The ultimate ceiling. Right? Because. Like not- you, you, can, you can get past the Chargers. I can see that. You can build yeah. that. As much as I like the Chargers, I can see you getting past the Chargers. You're not, you're not getting past Kansas City. No. So, like, unless Denver has a, like, a mediocre season in which their books. Which they could. Which they could. Like, I will say this about the Broncos. This assumption that the Broncos all of a sudden, because they got Russell Wilson and all, all these star receivers, the receivers have question marks. Yeah. You know, and... Russell Wilson has some question marks about his game. And first-year quarterback in that team, that division, I can easily see them having one of those, you know, eight and nine years, you know what I mean? Or maybe nine and eight, not enough to get in or whatever. AFC is going to be super competitive this year. Yeah, They can be good, just not good enough. And that division might be good enough where you going eight and nine has you finishing fourth. I could – that one is really tough to handicap, but I'll say Chiefs, number one. I still have the Broncos probably at number two. Maybe I'm giving Russell Wilson more respect than last year kind of garners, but at the same time, the Chargers versus the Raiders. 
I think one of those teams will have a winning record. I just, I like Herbert. I just don't know if that team is ready for the next step. Yeah. And in the toughest division in football, it's a quantum leap, man. It's a tough leap in that division. When you got, you know, maybe one bad team in that division, you can almost guarantee two wins a year, right? Mm-hmm. You, you can't do that in this division. No. It is tough, man. It is tough. You're not guaranteed any wins. You're not. I mean, there's no, you know, get get well card in that division. And the funny thing, you mentioned your team, the Miami Dolphins. And, yep. hey, a lot of potential because Tyreek Hill's there, too. A lot of talent, and we'll see what happens with Tua. All Tua, though. I mean, Minnesota, they might win enough games that it's not bad every week. But, I mean, they're not going to be good. Yeah. Miami, who knows? The Browns are a mess. All our teams are a mess. Yeah. And I'm just happy that there's company. More than that. The Browns have been company for a while, oh, let's they be have. honest. Well, I mean... You, you've taken... For a lot of bad reasons, that organization has taken the headlines yeah. this offseason. But the AFC, here's the problem. And, you know, Josh's team, the Vikings, being in the NFC, a little bit more clear because it's a bit of a murderer's row in the AFC. It's like pick your poison. Where are the gaps? How are you going to make the playoffs when you have to deal with the Bills, who are probably going to be the best team in the AFC? You've got the AFC North. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's going to be a drop-off to a certain extent. But you know the Ravens are always going to be competitive. Depending on what happens with the Bengals, they should be top two team in the AFC this year. Like, go through every single division. There's there's some good teams there, man. So, like, the, the road to the playoffs through the AFC is difficult. And that's why I look at teams, you know, obviously if the Browns don't have Deshaun Watson on their roster, takes a huge hit. The Dolphins, if Tua does not utilize his weapons and can't take that step, it's going to be tough to get third in that division, let alone compete with the Bills, which I don't expect them to do. But you'd have to try to get a wild card spot. And the Patriots are never going to fall off. Like, their defense is going to be good. Their quarterback is going to be good enough. So, that AFC is going to be, it's going to be a murderer's row, man. There's a, mm-hmm. And I didn't mention the Kansas City Chiefs. I didn't mention the toughest division in football. Like, you're competing against all of those teams to make it to the playoffs. So, in order to make the playoffs, Tua has to go, he has to have chemistry right off the bat. You go over 2 or over 3 to start off the year, good luck. Good luck. Yeah, yeah, you're you're in a tough spot in that case. Uh, Marcus and Gibson's. Why the Herbert hate? Did he call a timeout to spoil the Chargers' season? No, it was their bum coach. It's Marcus and Gibson. I'm just saying the next step, right? Yeah. Like this I, next I step I, is I, tough. I'm, I'm, I'm a huge Herbert fan, though. Personally, I'm a massive Herbert fan. I think he's going to be able to figure it out. He's going to be just just fine. Like he's that that talented. Uh, we have some more NFL stuff. We'll talk about a bit later on uh, as the show goes on because Russell Wilson made an appearance in Seattle, not in person, but on TV. And it, and it didn't go the way... Well, it went the way you would expect it to go. We'll talk about that coming up a bit later. We'll talk some more uh, football on the other side as well because, well, the BC Lions, hot. 6-1 on the season. Nathan Rourke has been going ham. We'll be talking to Don Taylor as well. But, you know, on that front, on you know what the BC Lions have been doing, you talk about their quarterback, Nathan Rourke, and we'll get into it more on that other side. Are we actually getting to a point where the discussion is... When does he get a chance in the NFL? Like seven games in to his career with the BC Lions as a starting quarterback this year. And already people are asking the question, when is he going to the NFL? Is that a legitimate question already? I think it's a valid question. If you start looking at those stats and he's kind of putting up video game numbers, right? We're nearly 500 yards in passing. Uh, you've got uh, an, an individual that, yeah, hey, when the season started, before the season started, there was expectations. There was a lot of good vibes around the BC Lions in the sense that new ownership, what they're going to bring. But you look at some of the, even the the odds before the season started, Sat. Not like the Lions were top two in terms of betting favorites to, to win the Grey Cup. No. But now, behind the Blue Bombers, they're there. They're in that conversation. So 
I think anytime you put up numbers like that from your quarterback, 477 passing yards and, and just eclipsing everybody else in the league while he's doing it, it has to be a discussion mm-hmm. of, if not this year, down the road, as a young guy, 24 years of age, I think it has to be a natural conversation. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, we'll build that out on the other side because as the season goes on, and you made this point off off air, CFL gets tougher as well. We'll d- discuss that, the BC Lions. Don Taylor is going to join us as well as the people show rolls on right here on Sports on 650.